You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Morning, we're going to hear from uh, Lewis Swan, who's the director of uh, site.org. Uh, Lewis took a, a trip to Africa. It's been, was it March? February. February. Yeah, so it's been a while. And uh, I've been wanting to get him to come and share. And um, it just so happens that we're about to go back. I'm going to go with him uh, this time. Uh, and we're leaving on Father's Day. So he was going to give you a, kind of an update on some of the things that have been going on. This trip is such an exciting opportunity. It's such a big deal um, for sight and for the people that we get to minister to. So let's give him a good welcome as he comes this morning to share with us. Yes. All right. Hey. Wow, it is. You guys hear me? Yeah. Is this on? Okay. Um, so last trip, uh, you guys prayed for me before we went, but I haven't given any updates uh, since being back. And that's for very various reasons. It was actually a really heavy trip, something I'm still processing. And I might, let me see if there's kids here that are very young. No, yes. I might talk about some of the stuff that was a little heavier during this uh, talk because you're a part, I'm, you're part of me in this ministry and I'm part of this body. But um on our last trip, we did 150 surgeries, and that was the biggest campaign we had ever done. So 150 people that were blinded by cataracts uh, were given sight uh, last, last February. On this next trip, we're bumping that to 200, and so that's far beyond uh, anything we've ever done in surgical-wise. In the past, we've only done a maximum of 50 to 75, and part of that is because of our uh, uh, the way we're working with uh, medical partners and things like that. But on, from our last trip, I'd like to focus on this one child named Epiphany. Epiphany was born deaf and blind. Helen Keller, exactly like the Helen Keller story, uh, deaf and blind. And so I have a pre-video uh, that I'd like to show real quick. It'll say it better than I would. Should be audio. No audio? I can talk if not. I can talk if, if the audio is just And off. also he's deaf, which is a major thing. I've not seen this for years, but he was born with cataracts uh, mainly because in his mother's womb, his mom would have sucked up the nutrients, and so he was born with cataracts, but uh, it sounds like he was also born deaf. And so just imagine Helen Keller. We all know Helen Keller, deaf and blind, same case. But imagine giving Helen Keller her sight and how big of a deal that would be. In a few days, I believe, on Sunday, that's what we're expecting to see with this little guy, that he's going to have one of the major senses. Uh, he's going to receive a major sense. And instead of everyone having to guide him, because he can't even use his hearing to lead himself, 
he's soon going to be able to have uh, the ability to lead himself in a way that, I mean, right now he's totally dependent. And if he were to stay like this, he would be totally dependent on everybody. Uh, even deaf people can use their, I mean, blind people can use their hearing to get around or to maneuver. But he's, uh, it's going to be a big deal. It'll be a big deal. Wow, he has no idea what's coming. He smiles every time. Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure this is how he interacts with people, you know? He knows a loving touch. Wow. He has no idea what's about to happen. This one will be happy. We can uh, play the second video now. Now he can see. This is about 48 hours after surgery. Uh, for the first day, his brain is taking in such new information that he really doesn't know what to do with it. It's like his brain isn't even making sense of what's going on. But since he's able to see after 48 hours, his brain is starting to make sense that there is a sky above his head that he had no grid for 48 hours uh, earlier. So right there, his eyes are still not widely developed. He could tell if there's a tree above him and see bigger objects. He'll uh, certainly need eyeglasses, but uh, I expect to see him on my next trip in a few weeks. And uh, he should be able to this see. amazing. Never as great as somebody that was born with sight, but uh, he can survive on his own now. Okay, that's good. So Epiphany was one of five children we found uh, born blind. And what happens is the mother will suck up the nutrients and then the child uh, will rapidly develop cataracts. That's uh, one of the main causes for uh, pre uh, cataracts like that. And you think of cataracts only being for uh, elderly people, but that's not the case. It's, it's uh, largely malnutrition is what induces it. And we also see it go the other way around. Uh, sometimes the baby can suck up the nutrients and then the uh, mother goes blind. We saw a case like that as well. And so in this next outreach, we're expecting uh, 200 surgeries. So it's all good. And honestly, it's, uh, something's been happening in my heart for a while. Uh, because it's like, okay, we're going out and doing surgery. We're going out and telling people about Jesus, you know, getting people saved and uh, doing house churches and we're doing discipleship and we're doing agriculture, which is the uh, root problem, uh, teaching people about um, uh, modern agriculture so that we can reduce malnutrition. If somebody, uh, can somebody grab me a bottle of water? I always do this whenever I am speaking. <clears throat> My mouth gets so dry. But one thing I actually haven't talked to in this big of a crowd, it's more of an individual thing, but it's been really weighing on my heart thinking, how much could this be done if God were to just not be present at all? How much of this could be done and continue? I mean, the surgeries are all great, of course. Thank you. But I know some secular nonprofits that do awesome surgeries doesn't take a Christian to do a surgery and give somebody sight, yeah? We're doing it in the name of Jesus, and certainly he's the one that, uh, that uh, creates the miracle of salvation. 
but I just really have wondered how much am I holding back? And uh, I've had some team members that, are, that have gotten very, very hungry and have been very prayerful of like the more. And it's just like, how much am I keeping myself from being a conduit for the Father? And not that I'm special. Uh, I mean, Joe can tell you, I, I screw up big time. <laughs> he, he knows uh, some of my shortcomings. Uh, but the thing is, I'm a son. I'm accepted. I'm not rejected. I am a donkey with a king on my back. Yeah? You like that analogy? I'm not special, but my king is really special. And so whenever I was on this last trip, I hit a breaking point. I'm just reading the Gospels a lot lately, and I'm just saying something that's often neglected, which is praying for the sick, casting out demons, and all that stuff. And whosoever believes that's fully convinced, fully persuaded, we should see if something will happen. And if nothing happens, that's the worst thing that can happen. You hear that? The worst thing that can happen is nothing. <laughs> that's not so bad. And luckily, dignity is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. So I don't have to worry about messing that one up either. So I hit a breaking point, and it was all God. I mean, I was going out of my skin. And I was just like, I'm done. I have to pray for people until I see God break through. And I saw zero healings. I was looking for blind eyes, deaf ears, and stuff like that. And maybe they were healed later on. I have no idea. But mind you, we are where voodoo was established. That is the home of voodoo. Darkness is very, very heavy. The demonic is very, very present. I've never seen this in nine years working in Africa. I'm laying my hands on sick people. And within 10 minutes, I look over and I see a man and I know oh, probably within 30 seconds that, the, that he had demons. I've never seen that before. I've never looked at a guy and said, he's got demons. And uh, I've just never seen it before. And, and so how interesting <laughs> it is by me saying, yes, let's go. And then within 10 minutes, I was like, I've been here for nine years. And I guess they just go the other direction whenever I'm around or, or I don't know why, but I've never seen it before. And it was, I don't want to get put him on a pedestal, but there's a lot of exterior uh, manifestations that I don't want to, you know, express much because that just show, uh, shares what his handiwork. But I sat next to him and I said, hey, do you want me to pray for you? And he said, yes. And he said, I said, hey, I don't want to scare you, but I strongly believe you have demons. And he said, I know, uh, that's why I'm here. He said, 10 years ago, I went to a witch doctor and did all this different stuff, and it just opened the floodgates. Yeah? So this is cool. Uh, there's some scary, and there's some, I mean, not scary for me, but, but we have a guy that's being tormented beyond what I've ever seen in anything that I've heard of or read in like a Roman, you know, torture towards the Christians in the third century. I would rather be in those guys' shoes than this guy any day based on what was happening to him. But what was interesting is I, had, I was looking for sick people. I wasn't looking for this. Immediately, I knew, and I had no grid for this, I knew he could not touch me spiritually or physically. He could not touch me. I had no grid for that. I had not studied this. I didn't know anything. All I knew was the scripture says, therefore, I give you power over all the authority of the enemy. I was going with that. But when I was going in, I knew he couldn't touch me. I put my hand here, it felt like hundreds of marbles. 
under the skin. You can actually feel them. And we started to see him come out, but what he started to do was punch at me. Yeah, a guy coming for prayer is now trying to hit me. The Holy Spirit's so cool. <laughs> I knew that he could not touch me to such a degree that my face was right here. My hand is right here. He's going to punch me, and I was so certain from what the Holy Spirit was doing that uh, I just stood, I just sat, and right before he connected, wow, his hand got caught back. Try the second time, wow. Hand got back, third time, wow. And I was able to look this demon in the eye. <laughs> he is so afraid of you guys. I'm trying to build you up, yeah? He is so afraid of you, knowing who you are, knowing you're a son. And what's sad, he's walking the streets for 10 years, walking by Christians every day. And we all have the same king on our back. And I wonder how many over nine years I've walked by and not had a clue. So anyway, uh, three days later, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) 15, 20 hours later, uh, he went from being a rabid animal to a really sweet man and actually had a sound mind. And seems that they didn't all leave. Uh, I'm actually going back and hoping to see how he's doing. Mind you, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, But, um, yeah, so I think that God is saying, do the surgery, do the ministry, do the discipleship, but as you go, lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, and really do what he says. You know, it's something we don't talk about, but he thought it was important. And uh, so we're we're doing that. So Joe uh, and I don't really know what we're doing. (laughs) Not much. I mean, we just know what's in Scripture, and evidently that's all we need. But uh, Joe's going along with me this time because I didn't really have Mitch to bounce off. And we're going to build up our team and take our team to the next direction, next level. And I'm uh, sorry, I've already talked too, talked too long. But, uh, yeah, I don't know where it's going, and I think that's good. Uh, I don't like to have a big plan because that kind of limits Holy Spirit, yeah? And uh, we don't want to have too much of our own structure in place that keeps him from being able to move. But, uh, anyway... Uh, it may be something that some people can join. A lot of you guys are supporters of Site.org. You make this happen. We have 200 surgeries coming up next July, I mean, June 16th uh, for about 10 days. We have 200 surgeries, and that's uh, several of you are, are really big supporters of Site.org, and so you're so much a part of that. If you want to be involved with Site.org in that level, um, you can take one of these. Whatever you would want to give, divide it by 12. Uh, helps us to plan, and I think it's, it's $12.50 a month to give somebody sight every year. And so somebody like Epiphany, that was literally 150 bucks to give that guy surgery or give that kid a surgery. So if you want to be a part of any level, uh, you can just grab me on that. But anyway, so prayers, please. Uh, it's a really, really dark place. And mind you, this is another thing. I never had seen this in nine years. Four days after it all started, I had a guy come up to me, the first prayer request, he comes up to ask me to pray for him, and he t- tells me he's been tormented by demons for 10 years. I've never, I've, it was just like, did you see this guy? You know, like, and trying to say, like, you did not see this guy. And he was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's just interesting to me that five days or four days after I'm, we're casting out demons, 
there's a guy asking me to help him with uh, demonic stuff. So, not the type of ministry I wanted to get into <laughs> in the beginning, but now I'm in it, and so uh, and so we're just uh, along for the ride and hoping that we can be used in good conduits, you know, for the Holy Spirit. So, all right, guys, thanks so much. So if, if you have any questions, uh, want to talk to him. Oh, that's right, with the kids. Um, are you going to be here next week? Okay, so we, I, I want them to, everybody to pray for us before we go um, next week. Um, one of the things that's um, going on there with that, uh, the 200 surgeries um, is that we are now getting um, volunteer doctors, um, optometrists from the United States um, like whenever uh, Lewis goes to these um, ophthalmology conferences, um, they have a whole section set up for charitable work. And a lot of these doctors want to be able to do this. Site.org is recognized by the SCC, SEC. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, a charity um, uh, overlooking um, organization. And, um, and Site.org is like the top, one of the top two recognized in the nation. Um, for doing the kind of work that we're doing. Um, and so we got this doctor's coming this time, and we just found out that there's another doctor that wants to come in September. Um, so that's really taken us to the next level, um, giving us an opportunity to minister to more people um, and, to, uh, and to, you know, bring some uh, healing and comfort and relief uh, to some suffering people. So um, your prayers and your contributions are just greatly appreciated. So I'm doing a series on the songs of ascents, and um, last week I kind of did an overview of it and talked a little bit. I've been wanting to do a, um, a series on worship, um, particularly co corporate worship, um, for a while now, and I just decided to use this as sort of a, um, the songs of ascents as a, sort of a template or a, an example um, for us to, uh, to run on. Um, and the Songs of Ascents are, it's, uh, it's a series of 14 psalms uh, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Um, and it's, um, it was supposed to be either one of two things. Either the pilgrims sang this as they went up to Jerusalem from uh, Jericho, um, or it's the steps that go up to the, t to the temple. Um, they're not really sure where they were applied, but um, it's a little bit like a mixtape that you make for, the, for a road trip, you know? Um, that you, you get a series of songs that you're, that you're listening to, um, and they become associated with that. So every year, the uh, Jewish people, um, three times a year, were supposed to gather in Jerusalem. And as they gathered, when they were coming up, um, these are the songs that they were singing. And it, so it starts with uh, Psalm, actually, my key scripture this week is Psalm uh, one of 130 uh, verses 1 and 2, and it's uh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice um, of my pleas for mercy. So this is where it starts. There's, there's all different kinds of psalms, about four or five different um, types of psalms. And the one I wanted to start with, because the Songs of Ascent starts with one of these, um, is a lament. Um, I'm not sure if you're, everybody's familiar. We've heard the word before, but 
A lament is just an expression of uh, grief or pain or sorrow. Um, and that's what the first psalm is. So it's going to start there and it's going to wind up in Jerusalem or it's going to wind up in the temple. It starts in this place. It's a lament for the nation. It's a lament for people um, individually. Um, it's a, a lamentation is a cry of pain um, and there's a lot of pain in the world. And there's, a, there's I mean, that's, um, uh, I mean, out of all the songs that you listen to and all the songs that you hear, um, and I'm not talking about worship songs in particular, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on that in a minute, um, but most of them are, exp- are, are generated out of a need to express um, pain or sorrow. Um, and it's not, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's an appropriate use uh, of music to do that. Um, Jesus told us that in this world you would have, we would have um, a lot of trouble. But he said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that right there, in a nutshell, is what a lamentation is, a, a psalm of lamentation. Um, in this world we're going to have trouble, and we start from that place, but we always come to a place of hope and always come to a place of reminding ourselves of the goodness of God, even in the midst of um, our suffering or our sorrow. It's an expression of pain, which concludes with an expression of hope and faith. Um, I've been uh, ministering to a friend of mine uh, that's been through uh, grief, that's uh, lost a child. And, uh, and one of the things that happens, because I mean, I can, I can certainly relate, um, one of the things that happens in grief um, is that you get, you get angry with God or you get upset with God, or you get frustrated with God. And um, if you don't know better, you might think that being angry with God means that you don't believe in God, or that you're in danger of losing your faith. But in fact, it's an expression of faith. If you're angry at God, that means you believe in God, right? If you're angry at God, then that means you expect that God is a good God, and you don't understand why hard things are happening. And... The, the thing is, is that we are not really sometimes comfortable expressing these kinds of things. But if you look at the book of Psalms, I'm mean, talking about the whole, um, the whole book, there's 150 Psalms. 53 of them are lamentations. 53 out of 100. That's the biggest category. There's Psalms of Thanksgiving. There's Psalms of Praise. There's Royal Psalms. There's all these other kinds of Psalms. But by far the biggest category is songs of lamentation. And that's because David went through some really tough stuff. And so did Israel. And when they sang their songs together, many of them were songs that started off sad or started off hurt or started off just like as a, as a primal cry to God. So this is the, kind of the structure of a psalm of, of uh, lamentation, and we're going to look at uh, Psalm 130 here in a second. First, it's a cry or a plea. It's just an honest expression of your heart. You know, David was called a, a man after God's own heart. I think one of the reasons why God loved David so much because he had a heart like God, and that's a, that's a heart that's honest. And David was a man that was honest. 
He didn't do everything right. He did some really despicable things and used his authority and his power in ways that were damaging and hurtful and deadly to, to some people. But even in the midst of that, he was honest with God. And even in the midst of that, he trusted God. And when he fell, he repented well. And these are things that God looks for in a man, not perfection. And I'm not, not making an excuse for David. I'm saying that's the whole package. That's the, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he was just transparent with God about all of it. So it starts with a cry. David begins um, uh, some psalms um, talking about himself and how bad he has been and what he has done and what he has failed. Sometimes he's talking about evildoers, you know? It's amazing how many psalms, psalms are about evildoers. And some of them are like, he's calling out to God to curse these people, or he's cursing these people. You know, and I'm like reading that, and I'm like, I, I don't know if that's... See, just because it records it and says David said it, doesn't mean necessarily that David was right, I don't think. Is that going to mess anybody up if I say that? Because David was right about a lot of things, but David was also wrong about some other things. But the one thing that you can say about him is that he was honest. Like he was being transparent with God. And when he talked about evildoers, like one of the things that he was saying to God is that he expected God to do justice with these people. He expected God to be his strength and his support. He was a mighty warrior. David was a mighty warrior. He never trusted in his own abilities. He always trusted in the Lord. His first great fight that's recorded for us is David and Goliath. And he was basically a kid there. And he went out without any armor. Why? Because he said, you come to me with a sword and shield. But he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And I'm going to cut your head off today. And it wasn't because of his strength. And it wasn't because of his abilities. Even though he was a great warrior, he trusted in the Lord. And he trusted in the Lord when Saul was trying to kill him. And he trusted in the Lord when the Philistines were trying to kill him. And he trusted in the Lord when his own son tried to kill him. He went through some, some really bad stuff. And looks like most of the stuff he went through, he wrote a song about it. And we have those today. So let's look at Psalm uh, 130, verses uh, 1 through 8. That's, and most of these um, Psalms of Ascent, if you started to read through these, you'll, you'll notice that some, most of them are very short. There's one or two that are a little bit longer, but most of them are very short um, Psalms. So Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. First, it's, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So he begins by expressing himself. Out of the depths I cry to thee. And that's another thing that's outstanding about David is the... Um, beautiful language that he uses. Now, I know he wasn't writing um, in, in, in English, but he's using imagery in such a beautiful way. Um, I told you last week, um, the Psalms don't just express something, but they shape something. So we have, we have feelings and we have uh, emotions and things like that. Reading through the Psalms helps you to shape those things into a way that's redemptive. It's not, it's not just something that is a way, it is a good way to help us express ourselves to God, but it also shapes the way that we're going through difficulties and heartaches and, and, uh, and grief and, uh, and disappointments. It helps to shape the way that we, we do that. 
So he first starts off by expressing himself. And then next, uh, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's asking something from God. This is, a, this is just as much faith as somebody who's rejoicing in the Lord and talking about all the great things that are going on. This is just another part of life. You know, sorrow and sadness are part of life. Um, and then the next verse was, um, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And so that's, an, that's a realization of the mercy of God. But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. This thing almost has, you know, it's like the, the thing that hasn't survived is the melody, but the melody is like not the most important part of it. It's the, it's the words that he's saying um, to it. But this thing is just crying out for a melody. It's just like uh, it almost sings itself. It's almost too beautiful just as it is. But with you there is forgiveness <clears throat> that you may be feared. <clears throat> One of the things that's really important in your relationship with God is to know Him, to understand Him. When you first come to Him, all you can bring is yourself. But after you've walked with Him for a while, you begin to know the way that He does things and what you can expect coming to Him. And you learn that from the Word, and you learn that from other people, and you learn that from life experiences. How do you know that God's going to come through? How does David know that, um, that with God there is forgiveness? Because he's experienced it. You experience it once, and you experience it again, and every time you do, it's a brand new experience. But it's based, you're, you're beginning to accumulate a wealth of knowledge about God. David knew God very well. And he said, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I will hope. And you kind of see how it's turning there, right? Have you ever experienced that in worship? Like when you come in, you kind of come in in one state of mind, and then you're in that state of mind and you begin to worship the Lord and you just, it's, it's like you turn a corner. And that's what David is doing here. He's turning a corner to hope. He says, out of the depths I cry to you. And he's at a very low point. Overwhelmed. But then he's beginning to turn a corner in verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. And then my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. This psalm of lament is about pain, but it's also about faith. It's about sorrow, and probably the reason why he's overwhelmed um, is, is because his enemies, and he had enemies continuously. The whole time that, I mean, Israel had times of peace, but even during those times of peace, they were threatened. And they were threatened by huge nations, and they were threatened by some pesky little nations that were always threatening them. And all this time, David has, has the opportunity to, to feel overwhelmed. Like, there, it's just too much that's going on. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, discipline and the way that the Lord disciplines. And I said one of the ways that the Lord disciplines is uh, through calamity. It's not like one thing goes wrong and two things go wrong. It's like a dozen things go wrong at one time. And you just come to that place where you just feel overwhelmed. And that's where David is. Out of the depths I cry to you. But by verse 5, he's beginning to turn a corner. And then, he's, then he makes the profession. He said, 
that he was going to wait on the Lord. He's going to wait. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. So beautiful. And now he's become a preacher. And this is the way it works, you see? Because God does something in your heart and you have something to say to other people. And that's the power of corporate worship. I mean, there's power just in our declaration together. But there's real power when you're standing next to somebody and you know what they've been going through and you see them extend themselves in, in, in worship. When you hear a testimony of, of God's faithfulness and it encourages you. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with Him is plentiful redemption. David was a man who had had a lot of things going on in his own life and a lot of things that he'd, he'd brought upon himself. But the one thing that he wanted more than anything is for the nation to follow the Lord. God had told him that his throne would endure. And if you've read the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, it is just a, a parade of failure. Right after David, right after Solomon, it almost immediately goes straight in the ditch. And nevertheless, David was a good king and he set a standard. He set a standard for the nation. And the standard that he set was that the Ark of the Covenant was going to be in the middle of the, of the capital city, in the high point of the capital city, on Mount Zion. And that's what David wanted to set that standard for everybody. This is a, a psalm that they would sing as they were worshiping the Lord together as a nation when they gathered together. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. When I think about Psalms of Lamentation, one of the most famous is um, Psalm 22. You know how that starts. That's the one that starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was a psalm that was written by David. But the reason why we know it so well is because it was quoted by Jesus on the cross. And so what does that mean? Well, one thing that it means is that David found, I mean, Jesus found David's way of expressing himself the best way that he could at his worst. This is when he was at his worst. And what is Jesus doing when he is at his, his worst place of suffering? He's using the words of David. You can't go wrong doing that. But it says something else. David at that point was crying out to God. And I don't even know what the whole thing. It, when you read it, it's hard to see anything but the crucifixion because it talks about them mocking him. It talks about them um, uh, gambling for his clothes. They talk, it talks about you know, the suffering. It talks about... Um, you know, all of the things that he's, his, his, his bones are out of joint. And he's describing all of this. I can't read it without seeing the crucifixion. But David wasn't describing the crucifixion because he wasn't being crucified. But what Jesus experienced, and when he said that psalm, what he was saying is, God says to you, he understands. He understands suffering. David was in some kind of a suffering state, and God understands that, but Jesus actually experienced suffering, and in that same way, he cried out to God. There's another thing about that 
psalm and Jesus quoting that psalm is that Jesus consistently referred to the Father, God, as his Father. And when he was in that extreme point of suffering, when he was bearing the weight of the sins of the world, is the only time that I know that he called out to God and called him God instead of calling him Father. At that point, that's the best that he could do. So there's two different types of uh, laments. There is the uh, individual lament, and then there's the corporate, um, corporate, corporate laments. Um, by far, the largest number is the individual laments. Um, these are just songs, prayers um, between an individual and God. But there's also corporate. There's also laments that, as a as a corporate body, um, they did together. So why is individual lament, um, I mean, we need both. So why, why, why is the individual lament uh, so important? First of all, it's important to be transparent and honest to God. God, the, the one thing that God doesn't like is pride. The, the one thing that God doesn't like is dishonesty. He, he hates a, a, a hypocrite. He hates somebody putting on a face that they know not to be true. Now look, I understand that we are aspiring to a life that is impossible for us. And sometimes we fake it until we can make it, right? But if it's honest emotion, God wants you to express it to Him. If you're hurting, He wants to know. And here's the complicating factor. I understand this. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And God is omnipotent. He has all power. So if it's touching you, he could have stopped it. That's what hurts the worst sometimes. Is that you're just like, God, why? 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 Not that he necessarily did it to me, but he allowed it to happen. That doesn't mean you don't believe in him, and it doesn't mean you don't believe in the goodness of God. It just means it hurts. And he doesn't want you to hurt alone. What parent would say to their child, only come to me when you're happy? What, what parent would say to a child, you know, I don't want to see your tears. I don't want to hear your questions. I don't, I don't want to deal with you if you're mad. What parent would say that? No, when they're crying, they need you the most. When they're hurt, they need you the most. And if you're a good father or a good mom, you're going to hurt them more than hardly anybody else on the face of the earth, right? I mean, it's true. But that hurt shouldn't separate you. God desires truth in the inward parts, is what one of the Psalms says. He desires truth on the, in the inside. He wants to deal with us when we're doing right, and He also wants to deal with us when we're struggling. A lament to God is a is a statement of faith, a belief in God. He's the one that hurt us, and at the same time, He's the only one that can help us. If you've never been in that place before, you're holding on to Him so tight because you, don't, you know that you don't have any other hope. And at the same time, you're hurt by Him.
And that's when the, the psalm will take a turn, and it takes a turn to hope. You come to him in your brokenness, limping, dragging yourself. Am I overstating this? I mean, we all experience stuff like this. Maybe not to that extreme degree, but you will at some point. And you learn that path to the presence of God. You learn that path to the throne uh, and mercy. The, the part of the furniture that God, the presence of the Lord was in, um, the Ark of the Covenant, that's what covered the Ark of the Covenant, was a mercy seat. It was God's mercy. And that's what we go to, is, is His mercy. So don't think that your questions or your confusion or your anger or even your doubt is going to like push God away from you. He draws near when you need Him. And He especially loves it when you, when you cry out to Him. I could compare the songs of lament to the blues, but the blues uh, many times, and I love the blues. I love them well sung, well done. Um, I was thinking about Aretha, you know, when I was thinking about this. Some of Aretha's songs um, give you an idea of what a, a movement, a moving song can be. When she sings about um, freedom, you know, there's absolutely nobody else that sings anything like Aretha. I mean, she, it's a one-off deal. Like, she's gifted by God to sing that into our hearts and into our lives. When she talks about R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Nobody else can do it like that. And lots of people have tried, you know. Unfortunately, she's done the best job probably that could ever be done with that song. And that's a lament, isn't it? You listen to the words of that song, and what she is doing is she is saying, I'm, be, I'm being treated, you know, um, disrespectfully. And she's singing a song about it. It's much better than giving a speech. Jesus was touched, has been touched with our infirmities. He wept, he cried out in anger at times. He quoted these psalms to it. He, it wasn't just the happy, happy songs, psalms that Jesus expressed himself with. It was also the difficult ones that he expressed himself with. Individual lament. And then the next one is uh, corporate lament. This is a picture of uh, students uh, doing a, a memorial for um, some of their classmates who were killed in a, in a mass shooting. Um, there's something about gathering together as a community to, to, to mourn, to weep. There's something that begins a healing process, and it's not, it's not the complete process, but it's the beginning, and it, and it can't be done alone. Listen, hurt, sickness, uh, all of these things, separate, they isolate us. People don't know what to say, and so they don't say anything. People don't know, like, what happens when you're grieving is that you become sort of um, socially, um, you know, inept. You don't care what anybody else thinks. And that's not good, you know, socially, right? That, that makes you awkward socially. But, number one, the, but the thing is, you don't even want to use the effort that it takes to be socially acceptable. And so you withdraw yourself from people. And people don't know what to say. And so they withdraw themselves from the hurting. And that's why corporate worship, corporate lament, corporate uh, gatherings 
where we grieve together is so vitally important. Because that isolation, that loneliness, only adds to the misery that we experience. If we're the kind of people that are not comfortable with grief, then the grieving will not find their way to the throne of grace through us. If we're the kind of people who don't express this, and it's like singing a psalm or reciting a psalm together and saying sometimes it's stuff that is not necessarily like um, an overflow of your heart, but you're singing it with people so that people know this is understand, God understands this, and this is acceptable, and it's welcome in our midst. An incident, a tragedy that happened here. It's probably been, I don't know, how long have y'all been here, Tasha? 10 years? How long have y'all been here? Yeah. 15 years. And it was the first Sunday that you guys came um, to TCF. And um, that week before, one of our precious members had gone into the hospital for something and got super sick and died. She just died. And her husband came to church the next week and was sitting about where Mike is sitting um, this morning. And, uh, and Tasha and Jake, first time that they had been here, they came and they sat on that back row and they were right behind um, this guy who had lost his wife. And the thing that she, they saw continuously during the worship service is people come up and hug him and hold him and talk to him. We have to be comfortable with that. We have to be comfortable, not only, not only comfortable, but we have to be desiring to enter into that. Otherwise, when somebody's life breaks, they, they, will, find, they will feel that they don't belong here because they look at everybody else and they're like, they all got it all together. They're always happy, you know? There's nothing wrong with being always happy. I am mostly. I want to be mostly, right? But that can be a barrier to people if they don't see struggle and they don't see here express ourselves to God in a way that is honest. Okay, so where are we going with this? And I'm I'm closing now. So um here's where we're going with this. It's like there's one or two psalms that don't end on a happy note. Not happy. I'm not, I'm not saying happy. Don't end on an upbeat note. That don't end with, with hope. But the vast majority of them follow that same pattern. That we find out that if we keep it in, um, one of the things that, that um, somebody told us when we were going through a, a, a grief process um, is that grief needs to be expressed. And what happens when it becomes when it's expressed is that it begins to heal. But as long as it's not expressed, it just stays inside of you. It begins to eat you up in ways that you don't even know. Not intentionally. You're not intentionally being succumbing to it, but you're reluctant to express it. But once you begin to express it, it's like the door opens to your heart. And healing begins to come in. That's where we're going with this. We're going to the throne of grace is where we're going. We're going to the mercy seat is where we're going. And the way to that is through a lament. 
a sorrow, a repentance, a brokenness. And what you receive there, like, like Lewis was talking about this demon-possessed guy. I hope we get to see him. I would like to see the results of that. And I guarantee you, I'm not expecting any fairy tales, but I am expecting to see God move in a major, major way. What happened to that guy did something to Lewis. It did something to that guy, but it did something to Lewis as well. And it did something to the team as well. And the only way that that can happen is through hard times and difficult times. Let's stand together today. Thank you, Lord. I think the, the one thing that God finds saddest is when we suffer alone. When we suffer without Him because He wants to be there. He doesn't want us to be alone. He wants to be there with us and for us. And even if we have problems and even if we have questions, He wants to gather us to Himself. That was Jesus' song of ascent. You, you remember that? As he's coming up to Jerusalem, as he's finishing that journey, and he sees Jerusalem and he just weeps. And he's like, I would so often I would like to have gathered you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. You would not. That was his song of ascent. He understands that. He wants to gather us to himself. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Out of the depths, we cry to you, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just hear, see honesty in us. We would not be afraid, Lord Jesus, to be angry with you or frustrated with you. But that even in that, Lord Jesus, that we would receive the hope that only you can give as you draw us to yourself, Lord. And Lord, I pray that TCF would be a place that the grieving would find a home and find hope. That the broken, Lord, would not be able to look around this room and think that everybody else is perfect and everybody else has it together, but that they would see an honest, honest life, honest struggle, honestly overcoming. They would see the overcoming that you have done in our hearts, Lord. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that each one of us lifts a, the load just a little bit in each other's lives, Lord. That, that what little we have, Lord Jesus, when we contribute it together, we see Christ in the midst of his people. And we're starting this week with the Song of Ascents, with lament, because that's where your people were, Lord. They were in the valley. They were, they were, low, they were, they were dispossessed of their land. They were... They had failed, and they were separated from you. But all oh, this journey is leading to the throne room. It's leading to the presence of God. It's leading to, to Zion, Mount Zion, the city of the great king. What a blessing it is, Lord Jesus, to be yours and to be drawn by that upward call, to be drawn into the presence, the love of God, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for it, Lord. Hallelujah. You want to sing one?
Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. God, I need you. confidence isn't in ourselves, it's in you. And you always come through, Lord. You have been faithful, Lord Jesus. And let us be like like David was, Lord, that when we begin to see that hope and we begin to experience that, Lord, as we have this morning, that our next response is to encourage our brothers and our sisters. Oh, Israel, rejoice in the Lord. Send us out of here, Lord, with a song of joy in our hearts, Lord, that has been that has been acquired, Lord Jesus, in going through the valley of the shadow of death. Send us out of here, Lord Jesus, with a confident proclamation of your faithfulness and your goodness to those that we see. And Lord, I pray that we would not withdraw ourselves from those who need you the most, God. Those whose lives are in disarray. Those who have questions. Those who are broken and hurting, Lord. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all don't forget to sign up for VBS.